0: listening to sci-fi tv rewatch episode 408 my name is dave joined as always by my co-host wayne as we begin our exploration of joss whedon's hbo max creation the nevers and we're coming off a special episode last week where we had michael on board which was a lot of fun we'll have to do it again yeah definitely it's good talking to michael Yeah. Somebody mentioned the Facebook group that Michael needs to podcast more and I would certainly agree, but he is a busy boy with Den of Geek. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you mentioned before we started recording, you want to get your emissions test. I thought you were going to tell me you went and got in line to get some gas because, uh, (laughs) here on the East coast, uh, you know, uh, I guess we're back to the gas crisis because everybody's panicking again.
1: Yeah, apparently. But, uh, luckily I got gas just the other day and, uh, the old CRV goes like 32 miles to a gallon, so um, I'll be okay for probably the rest of the week. So and well, by, by the well, time I need it again, I'm sure all the, you know, the people will stop being
0: idiots. And well, you would hope, but I figure while everybody's getting in line, panicking for gas, I'm going to go stock up on toilet paper. So uh, there yeah. you go. That's 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 a clever move yeah. right there. That's that's veteran Wiley yeah, movie. So. All right. Well, let's talk about what we're watching this week because we absolutely have a lot to talk about with The Nevers this time. Uh, I am up to episode five of Alice in Borderland. They are now at the beach. And I don't want to give any spoilers away. I know you know what that means and anybody that's watched it. And, mm-hmm. and I will say it's getting better. And, and uh, I guess if I had a criticism to this point, it's that they spent too much time with the game so to speak i mean it looks like the game's not done yet but i don't want to give too much away but i will say i'm enjoying it i've generally been going one episode at a time maybe every other day or so as i get a chance i'm certainly going to finish it at this point so
1: yeah it kind of kicks when, when they get to the beach it really starts to to kick in you know like i thought it was good before and uh, i am not of uh do not agree with like fred and you that the it is not a good series i think it, it was awesome but uh but certainly it uh it, it 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 flips a switch around that point and you
0: know well you know fred mentions in his feedback that that he's really glad we decided to do the nevers rather than alice in borderland and while i'm certainly glad we're doing the nevers i would not discount doing alice in borderland now that i've gotten five episodes in i don't know how far fred Got into it, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. But the other show that I just
1: binged it at- well, we're gonna have to come <laughs> up with a decision soon because uh, we only got six episodes of The Nevers, and then uh, and then we're right back where well, we maybe start.
0: Ragnarok will hit the uh, airwaves. But True. uh, I did watch this six episode miniseries on Netflix called Equinox, and as, as I've mentioned many times, my wife and I check imdb and we're certainly aware that it's not the end all be all what we've really noticed is that a lot of the international shows seem to get lower ratings than they deserve so equinox it's a supernatural thriller uh, heavy on the supernatural it's uh set in denmark and you know there's this mysterious island so i know as soon as you hear that sign weighing up for mysterious island show (laughs) um but it it,
1: listen i I, am not i loved lost i I, oh i I said it but i you know i the show was was great i loved it i just hate when people have to like find like think that lost has inspired everything and if you talk about anything by any like any of the people involved like oh you know let's let's review the uh, um you know, The Force Awakens. Well, let's look at all the way The Force Awakens was inspired by Lost. You know, <laughs> it's like just because JJ Abrams is involved, All of a sudden, we look, you know, everything. So, uh, and so, I I I just want to clarify that I I love the show. I thought it was great, but I just despise when people try to um, think that Lost has inspired everything that came afterwards, especially anything by like Damon Lindelof or. Um, Uh, or or, JJ um, JJ Abrams and
0: JJ Abrams did do Felicity, so maybe it was inspired by Felicity rather than lost. But anyway, right, I I can roll with that. But the thing about Equinox, (laughs) you know, without going into too many details, uh, the premise is that in 1999, because it's set in the present and they flash back to 1999, there's this group of high school graduates who have disappeared and you know we see back then they're on this bus this party bus which they don't identify it appropriately but we all know of course this is a rust bus um and uh, of the the bend over exactly uh, of the <laughs> of the 25 students that are that were on this bus 21 uh 22 have just vanished and three have not and of the three that returned, they were Uh, the unpopular. They were three. Well, Mm -hmm. just the opposite. They were three quarters of this, this little group. And the story follows the missing girls, adult sister. Who's now trying to really get to the bottom of what actually happened 20 years ago. And, and you know, it. the ending. I'm still processing it. And I, I looked at a couple of, endings explained and and, you know at one point somebody was uh, claimed that the ending of equinox was worse than the ending of game of thrones and lost combined but i would disagree i would disagree with that but oh wow but you know it's it's six episodes they're all like 42 to 45 minutes so it's not a you know big investment in time but you know i would recommend it if you're into that sort of thing so uh, all right you're up All right, well, I'm going to start. So, I did, I'm not going to really talk a
1: ton about Shadow and Bone. I haven't finished it yet, but we did talk about it with Michael a little bit last week. But I'm really liking Shadow and Bone, liking it more than The Witcher, I might say, Um, just because I feel like it makes a little bit more sense narratively. But, uh, you know, I I, I just think it's really good. And, uh, you know, I haven't read any of the books. So, I don't know whether that's you know like again i don't go into it as like with game of thrones where i kind of know what's going to happen and i also have preset expectations of how you know a character was in my mind and then how that character should you know how the character that they present on film jives with the the vision i had in my head when i read the book so I don't have that kind of interference there, and I can just appreciate Shadow and Bone for what it is and, and not compare it to the books, which all I've heard and the, the students I have the talk about, they said the books are awesome. So maybe at some point I'll, I'll uh, get to the books, but right now I'm, I'm liking Shadow and Bone. And I'd really like to shout out to seeing another Star Wars, animated Star Wars show, and this is really my first time in a long time that I've been watching an animated Star Wars show from the beginning. So when Clone Wars first came out, when my sons, who are 18 and 20 now, when they were probably, you know, five and seven, you know, we watched it every week and we talked about it a lot and everything. And now the Bad Batch is out, which is a spinoff of the Clone Wars. And, uh, you know, today my son had a, a, a lacrosse game. Um, Sean, my oldest, goes to Towson The game was in Towson So he came over to the game and I took them both out for a burger And we went to Geno's, got a burger And talked about Star Wars It was awesome <laughs> It was close to uh, a perfect uh, moment That I've had with my kids uh, Especially with the older boys in a while So it was really nice you know, and I know your your mouth is watering Because I mentioned oh, no Gino's kidding, Dave, I know that I know oh that brings gosh. back memories for you too so so yeah, I mean you know it's it's awesome. Uh, as always, the the animation itself is just top notch, and just there are some moments where I'm looking at my television screen, I'm just like, wow, yeah, wow that that this this shot, this scene is freaking amazing. The artwork is unbelievable. Uh, it's just great, and, and of course the story is good, and, and it follows a a bunch of clones who. Um, you know, if, if you haven't seen the Clone Wars, they are, well, they are a bad batch. They they did not uh, genetically make out like the others. They're different genetically. And so they kind of team them up together. And they're obviously, you know, kind of a team of, of misfits, but they're, you know, each have a special talent that together they are a really awesome team. And um, yeah, it's great.
0: Sounds great that you got the. Share a burger with your son, and and we won't go into uh, the history of Geno's in our area. But uh, yeah, brings back good memories. So yeah,
1: ah man, it's the yeah. best. All right. Well, if you're ever in, if if you're ever in Towson, Maryland, go go to Geno's. It's like, trust me. It's like, I I am not steering you wrong. Go there, get a giant, and just say write me a note afterwards saying thank you, Wayne.
0: Let's talk the Nevers episode one, titled the pilot written and directed by joss whedon the show airs sundays on hbo max and the pilot aired april 11th 2021 and i think we mentioned last time that it's a 12 episode season which is divided into two six episode segments but the second half hasn't even started filming yet apparently whedon Will not be involved, and you know we may or may not talk about all the drama that's involved with that at at some point later. Not tonight, of course. But right. the HBO website has a, a pretty nice, succinct statement of the premise of the show, and, and I am not going to read it all. But August eighteen ninety six, Victorian London is rocked to its foundations by a supernatural event, which gives certain people, mostly women, abnormal abilities. I think for both both of us, Victorian London, you got me. Uh, I love this time period, and I'm pretty sure you do as well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do like a lot of aspects of the uh, the Victorian age. Though I, I tend to prefer the Romantic age, so I, I like uh, I, you know maybe the the earlier part of the uh, the 19th century. But but yeah, I mean, a good it, it's such here's the the great thing that they can do, and what this show does is it 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 allows you to you know, it's a time period that straddles two, two centuries, but also almost two eras, right? Like it, you, you can get the the like the old world. There's aspects of that, but there's also elements of the new world, and they kind of combine in turn of the century uh, England, right? And so those stories just lend themselves really well to to a mixture of of like you know that pre. You know, that almost 18th century, 17th century world of people in like, you know, tri corner hats and and uh, culottes and and that other world of, of cars and, uh, you know, machinery and industrialization.
0: Well, right. And I think it might be Lord Masson that even says, and I, I don't have his exact quote written down, but we're that first generation that the impossible doesn't seem all that. You know, surprising or all that impossible, and and as you said, it's that Mm -hmm. that time period that that obviously cars are starting to make their way into the culture, but you know, we're we're in 1899 when the story opens, and in less than 15 years, we're going to have airplanes fighting in a war. So things are you know, just, just moving so quickly, as you point out, and it is that unique time period uh, that I don't want to say we don't see anywhere else in history, but now in, in this technological age we've been in for so long, nothing surprises us anymore. So... That's right. You know, oh, robot that you can't tell is not human. Okay. I believe it. I'm, I'm down with that. I believe. It. So, um,
1: <laughs> well, just, you know, every now and then I just look at my computer and say, okay, right now I'm watching a movie on my computer that I can carry in a bag that I throw over my shoulder and there's no wires attached to it. If I showed this to myself in 1985, for example, I my head would blow right off my body. Yeah. So
0: well let's talk about some of the principal actors first and and yeah I think as as we said the last time we talked about a specific episode let's just kind of go all around. I mean we'll go car- chronologically to to a large extent but Amalia True played by Laura Donnelly and I know you didn't recognize her because you don't watch Outlander but I, I finally put two and two together that she is the sister of the male lead and outlander but she's a widow who runs this orphanage that houses the touched and i don't know if it's fair to say she's got the coolest turn which is the 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 label they've given each individual's special abilities but she sees moments into the future but she doesn't have any control over it which is as she says <laughs> right. can be good can be bad but, well, and she, she sees
1: things, but so she like, she knew, well, we're going to go to the opera and you'd think that means she'd go and get tickets, but no, she just waits around to be invited to the opera, which happens you when know, everything. So yeah, it's, it's uh you know, I, so that is pretty cool. But I think obviously, I don't know if it's a turn or whatever, but
0: she, she
1: beats, beats the crap out of mothers.
0: mother. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that in, in, in a little bit. But the thing that's most fascinating about Amalia True in this episode, and, and certainly the way the episode is structured, that the event frames the episode, is whether or not she's committing suicide when she jumps in the river. And we see it. I think she 100% and is. I, that's what I figure. And, and, you know, now how do we explain that? Is it that she is just you know, in total despair after the death of her husband. And we don't know the circumstances surrounding that. We don't know how long it's been since he died, but that opening scene when she's carrying that basket and, and while she doesn't look like she's destitute or a pauper certainly lower class London of that time period. We we've certainly, her clothes are, are much different than, than what she wears. This, yeah sure. absolutely so as fred points out in his feedback we we see that scene where she's going down that that alleyway and she starts to turn left and then thinks twice turns right and just jumps in in the river so clearly it's something that she's been struggling with but at the end when we see that well, well right because you if you're if you're going to kill yourself you, you generally don't
1: bring a a basket of wash with you. Right. So she clearly like, this was like a spur of the moment. I'm, I'm not, saying spur of the moment because it's obviously something that she had thought about before, but <clears throat> you know, at, at, like, like you said at, at the time she's planning to go left, which is probably where she goes to wash the clothes and then looks back and then turns around and she actually starts to go left, turns around and goes right, drops the basket, jumps in the water. You know this she, she obviously didn't go there intending to do this.
0: right. And Fred also points out that since she's in the water, when this supernatural event occurs, how is it that she is affected? And again, when you watch it, you can see that it gets into the water and I guess you figure, okay, if whatever this is is powerful enough to give all of these people all of these different abilities it can probably find somebody in the water. And and sure. I think based on the limited amount of information we have in this episode, these individuals appear to have been targeted. And we don't know who is in that. What is it? It, it, it almost looks like a spaceship of some sort. Yeah, oh, it, I mean, it definitely
1: looks like a spaceship. If you've ever seen any of the... Music videos from um, of of Monsters and Men, they're a Icelandic group. They're awesome, uh, <clears throat> and and some of their videos from, I guess back probably about maybe 10, 12 years ago. Their their first album, but like their King and Lionheart. Uh, but they have these crazy kind of animation in their videos, and that uh, that spaceship. Told, now I, I'm not saying that that was the inspiration for it, but the, you know maybe the, you know the artists. That it was, in, you know, kind of they—they they look very similar to the kind of machinery that they have in, in those videos, which is neither here nor there. I, I, I think it has absolutely zero bearing on the the meaning of of the work. Oh, it's just a um, very ethereal looking, you know, vehicle or ship
0: or whatever it is. Right. So then the question becomes: Is it extraterrestrial or is it a product of this? industrial revolution that we are in technological revolution that we are in at the turn of the century so we don't really know at this point but um let's move on to penance adair played by ann skelly who is amalia's cohort and you know obviously right from the start even before the event and, and we see the pump break and she just looks over at the clothesline and and you know what she's thinking So she's got that ability already. Her turn is that, as she says, she can see electricity and the way it flows, and then that helps her invent as well. So she apparently was already an inventor of sorts and a creator of sorts before the event. This has just heightened her abilities.
1: Right. Well, similarly with Mary, who we see at the beginning uh, getting... Uh, dropped off at what looks like some kind of um, audition, so we assume that she was already a singer. And of course, her turn is like she is sings this song
0: right now. Um, at the risk of offending Nathaniel Hawthorne and Washington Irving and others, should we start taking a look at their actual names and whether there is a deeper meaning? Yeah. Amalia True, Penance O'Dare, are we going to find out she's doing Penance for something? Lavinio Bidlow.
1: That's just a great turn of the century. Okay,
0: Hugo Swan. Um, Okay, so. Yeah, Swan. uh, But uh, the the other thing that I I love about the relationship of these two, and I hope they don't go there, and you know where I mean by there, with, with these two, they are just so great together, that
1: well, yeah, I, I don't. We we there's zero like romance between well, them, right? They're just. Then
0: we'll, think? Think. well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I'm um, never say never, dude. Oh, well, that's never never stop. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm not. Yeah, but I'm just I'd,
1: saying that I, I I would I would find it uh, difficult to kind of swallow as as these two are are clearly super good friends and, and there's no like any kind of I mean we're not I'm not I and. I look for sexual chemistry, and I'm not picking up when they. Oh no, no,
0: no! I agree with you. So, Uh, uh, but what I do love is is the little exchange that they have repeatedly when they see each other. You look very fine, and I I just love it because you know it's this attempt at an affirmation that you know we are who we are, and, and and no matter what anybody says about us, it doesn't matter because we know that we are good people. We know that we are special. And and I just love that they do that. Well,
1: also that they're, they're two strong women in a, in a patriarchal world. And we're we already getting this theme of, of the, the, you know, the, the orphans in many ways represent a lot of marginalized people. And I, I don't know the name of the one character who comments on the, the racism that she has to face even before she, Turned right, or or got her turn. So, so we definitely see that that, that this you know this theme are arising of these you know usually marginalized groups of of gender and and race and uh class uh, that meet that are you know all come together the literal intersectionality of those three things
0: at the orphanage. Right, and even though there are some men that have been touched, for the for the most part what we've got here are powerful women who threaten the patriarchal balance of power. And it frightens yes. the hell out of Lord Masson and his little cigar smoking group with those objects that they turn over. I don't know exactly what that means when they,
1: I have no idea. I, I must've seen this episode four or five times and I still haven't the slightest clue. Right. Even what the purpose of those things right. are.
0: Now uh, the orphanage that, Penance and Amalia run for you know the young women who are touched is funded by Lavinia Bidlow played by Olivia Williams who we know as Adele Adele DeWitt from Dollhouse and and of course uh, Mm -hmm. forget her character's name actually two characters in Counterpart because she played this same character in two different uh, parallel universes but she is wheelchair bound supports the orphanage and we meet her brother Augie Bidlow and and there's a great scene when he realizes he has to go to the opera you know for his sister to support and and part of the deal is that you know she's doing this to help promote her cause of helping these young women and he enlists his buddy Hugo Swan who runs a sex club and I guess there are worse occupations to have uh, do, sure. do you think they're hideous flirt with the ugly one and then when they actually finally yeah. meet them which one's the ugly one
1: <laughs>
0: just a right. great scene
1: yeah that was great well you know and, and augie is just so like obviously lives in mortal fear of his sister that might be exaggerating a little bit i don't think too much um you know when when she sees Hugh, it's like what is he doing here and he's about to say well I invited." Him. He's like. I don't know. You know, like he like plays it off. Like, I don't know what he's doing here. Can you believe the, 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 the balls of this guy, you know? Um, so yeah, he, he's a very funny, uh, character so far.
0: Right. And then Ben Chaplin who plays detective Frank Mundy, who is tracking malady now in French. One of the few things I do remember from my French schooling is that malady comes from the word malade, which means sick. And and clearly she is e- even before the supernatural event. But Detective Frank Mundy has this reputation as a hard ass, and 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 of course we learn a connection that he has with one of the young women in this uh, community, and then Lord Masson, who is the primary non touched antagonist, and. Uh, you know, a- again, represents the the patriarchal society that these are the men who run England. At least that's what they think, <laughs> and and maybe right. they're and you, maybe they're right.
1: Well, yeah, they they well, I don't know. It's right that they are the men who run England. Now, are they right? Like, well, I think we can see that these guys are are swimming against the tide, right? And that their view of the world is is pretty pretty doomed. Um, you know, it's going to take a whole nother, about 120 years for for that viewpoint to to uh, start to be eradicated. But um, you you got, you didn't see like the later seasons of Preacher, did you?
0: You know, I didn't, and it's, it's just a show that uh, it just slipped away from me because I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. So the dude who played Lord Mass had a pretty significant role in like the last at least two, maybe three seasons of Preacher, um, and he was he was great. But he, the character he plays here is not super different than the character he played in, in Preacher. Except maybe
0: slightly less murderous. Well he plays uh in The Crown in the first couple seasons where he is the uh basically the Queen's fixer, but not in a cry- yeah, crime so, boss it seems way. Like he
1: plays like kind of the, the the hard man is is his uh the the type of character he plays he does it very well yeah
0: now you know we talked about in terms of basic conflicts the origin of whatever gives these individuals their turn but the main story at least in the pilot seems to be that malady is murdering the touched and we certainly are led to understand that she herself has been touched but what is her turn? I mean, we see her being loaded into a, a van to be taken to the insane asylum. So we, we understand that she may or may not be actually insane because at this time period, if a husband just had difficulty controlling his wife, it was very easy to just simply have her locked up so we yeah
1: but we listened to her speech from the stage there yeah but that's after that's after what i'm saying is that scene oh right 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 right. but i'm saying like if that you know that that that, i'm i'm believing the insanity okay
0: from early on because that speech she gives from the the stage is freaking nuts well so we don't know what her turn is you know you mentioned a few minutes ago about amalia true's physical fighting skills and you know we don't necessarily see those uh, same skills out of penance at, at least yet but i mean malady while she's certainly a good fighter there's nothing extraordinary about her so is her turn that she's even more psycho than she was before? I mean, she's got the glowing eyes right. thing going,
1: right? The, the the orange glowing eyes, yeah. That that in and of itself is, is I mean, that would freak me out if I was to fight with someone their eyes
0: started glowing orange. That would be it. I'm like, all right, done. Right. So we we pick up the story three years after the event, and, and it's a great scene where Amalia True is crawling along the floor, and then. It it transitions into the present and she's crawling along the floor and then she just gets up and she walks into this nicely appointed bedroom to change her clothes. So we're thinking, all right, whatever happened before, she seems to be doing okay at this point. And then it it cuts to Penance working at a forge, apparently making her own gear for some sort of machine she's inventing at, at this point. And that, just that scene where you know, the two of them are getting ready because they're going to go check out this girl that they've been alerted to. And, and you just have to love penance in her lab because she, yeah, I don't know how to say this without sounding sexist. I don't mean it this way, but she's just like such a guy at this point. It's, she's going somewhere nice. And she doesn't really have time to change, so she just grabs a wet, puts a wet rag under her armpits. You know, smells it. Nah, okay, that's not bad. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, we used to talk about like in 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 gym class, shower in a can. I right. Mean, right. And and she goes and she's perfectly presentable, and and you know they they find out. Well, well, that's a, that's you know, part of the comedy is that we see her and we
1: think, well, she's kind of like a tomboyish type character, but you know the, and then she is like not like really I mean she is very kind of I guess there there's like this kind of crossing between her and Amalia right because Amalia at first is the one who seems a little bit more prim and proper right and and um pennant seems like the one who's a little bit more gritty, a little bit has a little bit more sand in her, and then we get to the house. And Amali is the one who goes and beats the crap out of people. And uh, Penance is the one who just kind of like uh, delivers uh, support, you know, and everything. How they appear in that first scene is just the complete opposite of, of how they are actually. Well,
0: And it's funny because even as, as they're, they're leaving the orphanage to go there, I forget which one, you know, just kind of tosses the other one an umbrella you know, in the air. She catches it and they they go on. They've each got their umbrella and all that. And and then once they get to the house and and the young woman named Myrtle, who, according to her mother, is Lucifer's vessel because, of course, she Mm -hmm. is no longer speaking English, even though she can understand it. But I just love the way the two women work together. Like you said, uh, Amalia seems to do the fighting, but you know penance is there with her homemade flash grenade that certainly you know helps out her friend and and they get out of there but i mean the the takeaway from that scene is that they understand that this young woman is exactly the kind of person that should be with us at uh the orphanage and her parents are more than happy to be rid of her although as the father says you know, uh, I guess they changed the child labor laws, so it's going to hurt the family that they're going to lose her earning income. Right. But There's a breadwinner. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. But the other takeaway is that Amalia gets knifed in the fight, which then leads us to the scene with the doctor, which is just awesome. Because on the one hand, we see that he is married and he apparently does have a, a, a child. But He's one of—I guess there is another male at the orphanage, but he's like kind of that that male balance for the women because he is the antithesis of Lord Masson and his crew. And you know, when when we see what his turn is, which is his healing power. And that little exchange with Amalia where she says, it's really a shame. You should be out there sharing your gift. And he has to bring her back to reality that if I did that, I'd be branded like, you know, a voodoo doctor and and probably strung up. So, you know, he, he's more than happy. <laughs> and he makes some kind of offhanded comment, which is sort of like a little dig but but I think he means it with the best of intentions that he's he's happy dealing with the riffraff at the uh at the orphanage mm-hmm. and, and taking care of them. So um but what'd you think about the prototype and, and the whole chasing? We get some great action sequences in this episode for sure, you know?
1: That that was that was definitely a, a cool scene and um you know <clears throat> uh something we are not unaccustomed to seeing in a Joss Whedon production where something kind of out of this crazy and uh, what we weren't expecting happens. But certainly when, um, you know, Amalia says, all right, you know what we got to do? She's like, it's just a prototype. like, next thing you know, they pop out in the car and they're zinging through the streets of London. That was was really, really cool. And of course, like the, you know, we see how, you know, Penance is, is pretty psyched. That the uh, prototype is is working out, and Amalia looks like kind of proud of her as well.
0: Well, yeah, and it's very James Bond esque. And mm-hmm. then when we actually examine the vehicle, which is a three wheeled car that appears to be electric, which I guess would be f- ahead of its time. You know, we've got internal yeah, combustion well ahead, right? yeah. In- internal combustion engines are are just you know making their way into the horseless carriage uh, milieu. But did you also notice the dude that was driving their carriage was some kind of well, robot? Yeah, a robot. Yeah, right. So are we to believe that penance created that as well? I, I mean, otherwise, what's our explanation for this robot?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I assume that she did right because she is the uh, you know the 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 scientist or the inventor right
0: but that just takes us to a whole other level of technological advancement that i don't know that we're necessarily prepared for in 1899 so again whether we get any answers related to that i mean it doesn't matter i guess but i i do find that that fascinating and then whoever or whatever those dudes with the uh yeah, I don't know with what. Yeah, what?
1: Yeah, what? <laughs> I don't know what. It's it's weird. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's it's notable that they don't really explain that to us, like, at all, right? They don't say, oh, well, uh, your mechanical, you know, drivers seem to work out pretty well. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're working on that for a couple of months, you know? I'm glad we finally got, you know, like, it's just kind of, we just have to, go on on faith. That, oh yeah, this is a world where uh, uh, you know they can create a uh, a mechanical stagecoach driver. We're just got to be cool with that.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, we mentioned that that meeting of Lord Masson and, and his little core group of people that that run things for England or London or think they do or whatever. But they they're of course talking about malady and, you know, how it's turning the city upside down. And that the prime minister is going to take a position on the touch so that these men have to decide what the prime minister's position is going to be. But then Masson contradicts them and say, no, he's not going to say anything. But what really comes out of this scene is that we learn no one of stature has been afflicted. So I, I take that to mean that the people that have been given a turn are the people of the middle to lower classes. So is it almost something that if as I said earlier that these people seem to have been targeted is this a chance to even the playing field is this a chance for these people to to rise up to uh use a phrase from continuum
1: yeah. at the opera we discovered that that is not necessarily 100% true because we see the the uh the touch because the the little lights from, from Mary's song kind of reach out to the people. I'm not touched. Yeah. Touched, uh, turned, whatever. Um, and there's people in the audience, including Augie. We see that the, that this has affected people beyond just the, the lower classes, but probably would be something if, you know, like Augie, if you, uh, you know, had some special thing happen to you, uh, you, as a, as a member of the aristocracy, you're actually going to not mention that to anyone because you know, like the idea of conformity and everything is so ingrained that uh, that they they don't you know they 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 don't want to publicize anything. I, I believe they talked about someone's niece or daughter, you know, having to kind of like go on vacation or something like that. Well, I think that might be Lord Max um, again. They, maybe. Maybe I can't remember which guy it was. It's definitely one of the guys in that room. Um, yeah, you know, but so yeah, you know, we get the sense that that again that they uh, you know if if a, a woman or person of the aristocracy you know received this power whatever it is that's happening, that it would be something that they would
0: want to quash, hide, or you know certainly not publicize. Well, that's true. Now, when he says that, though the event at the opera hasn't happened yet and he follows that statement about no one of stature afflicted the statement that the problem is that those who were never meant to have ambition now do so he sees these people as a threat and he he's probably correct in doing that but then as you say the the scene at the opera when mary's song targets and, and we learn that only the touched can hear mary sing but we still don't know if they know they have a turn augie doesn't seem to understand that he's touched we know it you know we see that older gentleman in the audience that you know obviously can hear her song but you know we don't know whether he understands he's touched but like you said even if they do members of that class are going to probably want to keep that on the down low for sure Mm -hmm. um you know the scene in the subway when when frank goes to investigate the dead body that's there and yeah i mean it's kind of a funny scene when when we see the the message that's painted in pig blood on the you know on the wall there and you know the guy that that called it in it's like well you know malady's leaving a message and frank's like that's not malady well how do you know because malady can spell (laughs) and yeah but i think what what it means to me is that what's happening here is that anytime anything bad happens blame the touched and my guess is that it was one of these workers that probably raped and then killed this woman so let's blame it on malady and then we get away with it and and that whole idea of blaming the touched for anything bad that happens just seems so convenient and i mean it's certainly something that you know we should know from history and it's probably Mm -hmm. still going on in some countries maybe even the one we're in but uh (laughs) um what do you think about primrose i mean I I'm not really digging her turn as just being huge. I mean, yeah, basketball's right. been invented, but I don't think for women yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: Um yeah, and, and certainly she's not going to be able to to make the the cash that she'd be able to make nowadays uh, in the NBA, but uh yeah, her her character is, I mean, you know, it, it, she she's physically obviously way bigger than everyone else, but of course is is very young too um, so there's there's that kind of paradox going on I, you know I, I I still find all the scenes she's in I mean I, I know like it's not like this is easy right um, but it still like doesn't quite you know it's like one of those things you're like yeah I, I know it's just a TV show like yeah you know, I'm not buying it really that when she's in it. and I know that's very difficult for them to, to do that as a special effect, to have a character who's in a lot of scenes, um, but where she is so much bigger than everyone else and how you work that out and everything. Uh, but, but again, you know, I'm just going to kind of, like, maybe put a put a pin in that character, so to speak, and, uh, you know, think about, like, you know, I, I think we've just been kind of introduced to her here, and maybe later on, uh, if you'll forgive the, the way I say it, she could play a big part in the... Later part of the
0: uh, the show. Um, now, speaking of characters, I, I love the Beggar King because it, it shows that Amalia and Penance understand that we're fighting, you know, th- this this battle uh, against people that do not want to see us succeed. That they have far more power than we will ever have. So, yes, while the Beggar King may be fairly despicable on many, many levels, and he is clearly one of the organized crime leaders of London, you know, maybe we need to make a deal with the devil at this point. And it's a great scene when the two of them meet in the carriage and. She is just so ballsy. I mean, it, 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 and and he understands that, and he understands that you have basically shamed me into meeting with you. And she doesn't care. She doesn't bat an eyelash.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's
1: <clears throat> it's it's weird because it's Nick Frost, and he has kind of made a career out of. Playing, the 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 lovable guy like you know like he did like I know you've seen him because we we did Shaun of the Dead we did do Shaun of the Dead right oh yeah we did, did we do pockets yeah yeah so you know he was Ed in that he's been in, you know he was in a Hot Fuzz he, he was Santa Claus in the Doctor Who episode one time um, and he, he you know every time I've seen him he's always plays usually kind of the, the semi dim. But lovable kind of guy and to see him being like this cold-blooded baddie almost um he's not obviously entirely bad you're not gonna bring in nick frost to play a guy who's 100 bad but he's pretty bad you know like you're waiting for that 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 goofball nick frost character to come out it's like it's not happening man this guy is just he's cold-blooded he's hardcore you know so yeah it, it uh you know i this is a case where the the actor playing the part kind of threw me off in in kind of analyzing the character and it was really only after watching this a couple times i'm like oh this this isn't the goofy funny nick frost he's he's playing just a, a mean hard ass straight up you know there's like there's not really any humor in this at all
0: oh and then which when is very he, unusual. he tells her he pulls the knife out holds it right up to her face i'll cut your face this isn't my face <laughs> and it's just classic yeah, it's what
1: just, is that i mean i guess he's just kind of like calling you know, his bluff i guess yeah exactly right like you know calling him out like like yeah you say something like that you're like Oh, wait, wait! what? <laughs> like, yep. You're so confused, you can't carry out your threat. Yep.
0: Uh, Shaun of the Dead, July 16th, 2013, episode 43, Zombies, Shaun of the Dead, and 28 Days Later, if you guys haven't seen, uh, listened to it yet, go back into the archive. Wow, well, I might go back and listen to that. I'm like, man, I want to listen to that. Yeah, yet, no that, kidding. That's a- <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, obviously they've been paying him to bring... Young girls to the orphanage that, that that seem to be exhibiting the traits that they're looking for. so they have this this relationship already, but um, you know we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know we've mentioned her brother Augie and we've mentioned that we know he's touched, whether he knows he's touched or not remains to be seen like like we said a few minutes ago. but we, we get the great scene at the opera that i mentioned a few minutes ago you know he drags uh, hugo swan along with him because he assumes the two women are going to be hideous which then goes to show that the vast majority of the citizens of london really have no idea what the touched really are and who they are so Mm -hmm. you know there's this this sense of mystery that Even though we are completely comfortable with the knowledge we have accumulated in in, in this episode, they don't have that. They haven't been to the orphanage. They might know of it, but they don't really know what goes on behind those walls. So it's really a a funny, funny scene. I mean, we also, you know, we talked about uh, Amalia's turn. She calls them ripplings, ripples in time. And you know, again, like you said, okay, I know I'm going to the opera tonight. I'll just, I'll just wait back and let it happen, and yeah, just hang out and wait for it. Yeah, right. Now, on the other hand, she has that rippling at uh, the house. Of, I can't remember the girl's name. We just said it a few minutes ago. That that speaks all uh, languages, Myrtle. Myrtle. Uh, and she knows that. All right, I'm going to be on the floor on my back here shortly, and and of course it gives her a a leg up to defend herself. And and speaking of defending herself, you know the fighting skills I don't think are turns. I think those are just simply learned skills. That and and my guess it would be Amalia that is the 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 force behind. F- Forcing the girls to learn defense skills because, you know, she understands it. it's, it's a world out there that doesn't want them in it. So, you know, while we haven't seen any of that yet, that would be certainly my guess as to uh, what's going on there. But we get the introduction to malady during the performance of Faust and he, really a horrific entrance uh, you know we see yeah. you know we see that guy and 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 again the world building and fred points us out in his feedback the world building is just really incredible in, in yeah yeah in this series and the special effects are are really strong and and dude i mean when we see that that neck and the you know she's clearly slit his neck but I, I don't even know what to make of her and and Right. What is her endgame? Why is she murdering the touched? Uh, we don't get an answer in this episode, but she's clearly got a crew, you know, the uh, woman on stage that just kind of like has that fireball in her hand. And and uh, yeah, we don't know what her deal is yet, but she's pretty damn menacing. That's for sure. And, yeah, you know, there's a guy with them. So we don't know what, motivates her to do what she's doing we don't have any clue what her turn is but yeah so i don't know any in-
1: i mean I, I, I again like i mean i know you're kind of like discounting the fight but it just it seems like because it's in during the fight that her eyes turn orange yeah so you know maybe she has like a turbo button or something like that that you know just not that it gives her amazing fighting abilities but just like she kind of just goes berserk When her, her eyes go orange and she has like, I don't know. Okay.
0: And, and, you know, you mentioned the fight and and we get that great scene where Amalia is chasing her down and she jumps down from the second or third floor and her, her dress, whether she does it deliberately, I never really watched it carefully enough. You know, her, her dress rips off, you know, catches on the side and then she grabs hold of that to break her fall. But then she hits the ground in the classic superhero pose, yeah. one knee, yeah. one hand on the floor. I mean, how many times have we seen that? It never gets old. And here, yeah. I mean, it's so out of character. It's just phenomenal. I love it. My favorite, one of my favorite visuals in this episode.
1: Yeah, well, especially I mean, just j- jumping down and the the dress catching, and then her stopping herself. Uh, using her dress to a you know, and then being able to meet Malady at the bottom of the stairs. I mean, like that was just like that. That's just a straight up imaginative scene. Like, I mean, I couldn't even like come up with something like that. But it was, but super cool. But but yeah, I mean, she's 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 like she's like a suit like the she has a superhero landing because she is kind of like a superhero. Whether her um, fighting skills are. Um part of her her turn or no i mean she is an impressive uh physical force in there
0: yeah and you know like i mentioned i don't know if it was last week when michael was on or was the week before that it, it certainly seems to be popular to really bash joss whedon these days and and again there's a lot to bash him for but um, i mean when you talk about crafting a pilot episode I mean, it doesn 't get much better than this one. I mean it just it just has everything you would want in in a pilot or in an episode of of television in, in general. but we you know you mentioned that scene earlier where Mary is in line, clearly going to an audition, and we see Frank you know I guess accompanying her so so we know there's some sort of a relationship there, and then of course uh, Hugo take the champagne, Frank, you're going to need it. And then mm-hmm. he lets Frank know that the uh, victim who's been kidnapped by malady is, is, of course, Mary. And now, you know, Frank's- So well, we assume that's what he tells him. right? Yeah, well, right, 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 right. I mean, right, right. Right. We, I mean obviously
1: that's, that's what he's right. telling but, you know,
0: Right, but then we see that mad scientist dude that's got somebody's, you know, brain or skull exposed. And so we know that there's somebody that is- conducting horrific experiments on the touched as if we can figure it out and then i can make you touched and i can make you touch and i i think we certainly expect that's never going to be successful it's just a matter of how many innocent you know victims will fall prey to this this guy, so right uh, and,
1: and uh, you know, obviously a you know like a doc, a doctor Mangala type yeah. figure here that is doing human experiments and uh, he's the only American too, so i don't know how I feel about that, you know, but um i i mean clearly a a hateful character who is able to actually you know play games with the like the skull the skin on the skull of his of his victim, like like as if this is some kind of a funny thing, and and uh, yeah, just a really you know disgusting character
0: all around. Yeah, and, and then I again, I, I, Whedon is just brilliant, and you know whether it's Buffy or Dollhouse or he, you know any of the uh, Avenger stuff. I mean, he just I, I, he, we we get all of that, and then we see the scene where Penance goes to find Amalia in the alleyway. She's just dispatched the last batty, but I mean, she's in her, you know, her, I don't know what you even called her undergarment. Underclothes. Yeah, underclothes. We'll but she's clearly distressed, not only because Malady has married, but, you know, she's upset that she kind of started the fight herself. Now, I, I think in retrospect, as an outsider, we understand she really had no choice than to do what it is she did they recognize Mary's song as special. And then that line woven into the fabric of the world, we're meant to be as we are. And that, you know, affirmation that, that the two of them, obviously when one is flagging, the other's there to prop her up and, and, and vice versa. And they realize that any of the touch they help, they're not going to be safe, but that line, but they will be less lonely. And that's a start just, right. uh, it's yeah. just, you know, just, yeah. 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 That was Just, good.
1: Yeah. Well, there's one thing I want to say about like Malady because she sees Malady jumping over the side of the balcony or coming up and meeting her up in the balcony. Yes. Right. right. But what actually happens oh. is she jumps down to the stage
0: to prevent so, that from happening.
1: Yeah. Well, did she? I well, don't know. Like, but you yeah. Know, right. Because it, it seems like her. Her touch shows her things that, that are going to happen, right? And it doesn't seem like previously that she has any kind of power to either make it happen or not make it well,
0: happen Well, that's right yeah, because then what I'm thinking if you look at it as a sports metaphor, okay, if I see that the defender's going to go here, well then I'm not going to go there. So like you're saying though, we haven't really seen any evidence that she can change the future. Which is, I guess, which But you kind of yeah. At.
1: Oh, and is it because it's malady, right? Is it because malady is one of the touch that it doesn't quite work with her, no. or, or she has the p- possibility to 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 change her future if it if it's involved with you know another touch or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just th- like the last. I guess this final time. Like I said, I've, I've seen this a ton of times this final time i think it was the first time i noticed that that what she the vision she sees does not happen doesn't come right doesn't come true right
0: and, and then we get to the end and we see amalia jump in the river again you know the same scene that we saw at the beginning some sort of airship towering over london and it's it's as if time momentarily stands still and, and i guess we have to consider whether this ship gives powers or awakens them and and at this point we don't you know really know
1: it it causes some people to collapse like i assume that's lord madison's daughter right when the because we see like the little specks of light kind of go into the people's skin and like for mary i think it's the most notable one because it goes into her her throat right and she has the talent for singing um but when they enter uh, madison's daughter she collapses so like you said i mean uh you know is is that the girl that that they're talking about at that meeting so maybe if if it is, then she has been shipped off somewhere, and that's why we don't see her and everything. but I think there's other people that also collapse when the when the the little bits of light enter their skin
0: right right um and then you know we see her climb out of the water fast forward to the present and and interestingly, she's sleeping on the floor among the women of the orphanage so whether this is a nightly uh thing for her or whether she you know sleeps there for a while because it brings them comfort or brings her comfort and then she goes back to her bed we don't know but uh you know just just you know a a great scene and, and a great ending to the episode um anything else that we haven't brought up yet
1: well, I mean, along with the you know the kind of social commentary of equality of of different uh, genders and classes and races, uh, you know, there's a fair bit of Marxism uh, spread into this. You know, the the workers going on strike, but Masson coming down and breaking it kind of by force of will alone. When at the opera, uh, Amelie... Uh, you know, stands up for the workers And kind of, you know, has a little Obviously a very, you know Again, you know, the Marxism is a thing already at this point uh, Had been for a couple decades So seems like a little bit uh, has affected her as well um, So, you know, again But it kind of all ties in with this idea of Masson Being what he sees as the, you know, the last bulwark you know, as against the the the, the rising, t- I know I'm mixing my metaphors here. Um, you know, but against the the the, the spread of mod- modernity and and everything, and the you know what we can at, at our point um, look at as you know the inevitable uh, pace of the modern world, and um, that uh, Masson and, and his like are are. You know, their their time is is limited.
0: Right. I mean, because in 10 years, he doesn't want to have to use Make England Great Again as his call to arms. Yeah, yeah, if only. (laughs) Anyway.
2: All right. Well, you want to hear what Fred's got for us this week? Sure. All right. We will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Nevers, Season 1, Episode 1. Whoa, I really liked the selection you made and that you didn't go for Alice in Borderland. I like this very, very much. It's a kind of the librarians meet the magicians, meet Enola Holmes, meet Sanctuary, meet his dark materials. Something like that. A very dense pilot, which reminds me of Orphan Black in its denseness. So many aspects, so many ways it could go, so many mysteries. Really good pilot. The cinematography is outstanding. They really create the atmosphere of around 1900, really depicting the end of the Victorian era. Queen Victoria died in 1901, so that's officially the end of the Victorian period. I could make so many nice screenshots just because it's a nice picture, nice attributes, nice color settings, not only Hugo Swann's living room where August visits him, but also for instance Penance her laboratory, really really nice and beautiful, lot of details. I like this pilot so much that I watched it three times, partly of course also because of its denseness, and recorded this feedback immediately after I recorded my feedback for last week's podcast about the witches, so that I could allow myself to go on and watch the second episode. Okay, let's go a little bit by character. First off, Amalia True. We see her in the beginning, and later we learn that she is a widow... When we see her in the beginning walking with this basket through this alley I didn't understand why she turned first to the left and then after thinking shortly she went to the right and then jumped into the water. But later I thought what was the meaning of this? Is she perhaps because she is a widow when perhaps she just lost her husband whatever is she drowning herself actually? Is she committing suicide? And then this dust comes that touches some of the women obviously not all also some mystery of course how is she touched when she's under the water is that what she saved her is that why she went to the surface or was the urge to live and not suffocating so strong that she did just swim up or had this dust something to do with it and how could it touch her then in the water very strong female character i love the interaction with the beggar king when he holds a knife to her face and he says i will cut your face She leans toward the knife and she says, this is not my face. This dust is of course a big mystery, coming from a kind of spaceship or something like that. And it also seems that nobody remembers that that happened. Nobody is talking about that what happened in the sky. Also the people are a bit disoriented after they being touched, whatever. What happened to the young girl Lord Masson is looking at? Is that his daughter or granddaughter or whatever? Did he lose her at that moment? Did she die? I thought, why do I recognize this actor, Pip Torrance? But after a little peek into IMDb, I re- certainly th- recognized him as Tommy LaSalle, the secretary to Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. Talking about recognizing, I recognized Ben Chaplin, who plays Frank Mundy the police officer here. I recently watched a very strange series, Mad Dogs, about some friends that got stuck in a Belize drug criminal story, and I I didn't know him as an actor, and now I have two series just in a row where he plays a role. It's not a family member of Geraldine or Charlie Chaplin, it just also has that name. And of course there is Olivia Williams, who plays Lavinia Bidlow here who we, of course, know as Adele de Wit from Dollhouse. One of the other series you podcasted about. Okay, next character, Penance Adair. Very nice interaction with Amalia True. Very technical woman. And what we see here is that she had a tendency to have technical abilities before she was touched. So you get the idea that the touching just increases the possibilities you already have or the capabilities you already have in that sense also the craziness the murderousness of melody is exaggerated and she is going towards jack the ripper's uh, record you also wonder whether these goons that try to kidnap myrtle with the strange faces if they are also touched by the same dust but touched in a wrong way in the wrong direction Are they actually formed by the same dust? Big question, of course, is where does this spaceship come from and this dust come from and what is the purpose and who is behind it, etc, etc. No idea. Last character I want to talk about is this Dr. Horatio Cousins. First off, question is, is he touched? I thought only women were touched, but he has this healing capability. When I first saw him, I thought, is that Roger Cross? And then I looked him up and I saw it's another actor called Zachary Momo. But when I then later saw him, I still uh, now and then thought it's Roger Cross. But it's he's not. Uh, okay, that was all for this time. Very nice series you picked here. Greetings. Till next time. Fred from the Netherlands.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, great breakdown of the major characters, uh, Fred. Uh you know, certainly a handy reference tool. You know, we mentioned the world building. Um, yeah, I don't really have too much else to say. You know, we talked about Pip Torrance, who who played Tommy Lascelles in The Crown, and as uh, Lord Masson in this one. But yeah, Fred. Uh, you know, well, we might get still get to Allison borderland at some point yeah i'm, I'm really yeah. glad we we chose this one for sure and just uh it's yeah. gonna kill me to have to wait i mean we're probably gonna wait yeah. till end of 2022 it's, gonna, it's at the earliest it's gonna
1: be a, yeah it's gonna be a wait for sure yeah
0: so uh anyway well fred thank you for the feedback and and we're interested to hear what you've got for us each week but, uh, what do you want to do for a grade on this one
1: I'm going to give this one a solid A. Yeah. This was a, a really, especially as, a and, and I hate doing that for the the first one, but especially like we've talked at, at length before about how difficult it is to nail the the pilot, right? Yeah. Um, and that there's so many things you have to get accomplished, and still, you know, you're trying to take care of all this basic narrative stuff of introducing your characters and the basic conflicts of it and the good guys and the bad guys and and still make it. So it's compelling and that a listener, I'm sorry, listener, uh, a, a viewer will you know want to come back for episode two. And I think they just kind of totally nailed it with this one. You know, yep. there's the, the only other pilot that would put over this was also a Joss Whedon show that I think, you know what I'm talking about? My friend.
0: Buffy. Yeah, absolutely. Dollhouse.
1: That's another good one. Yeah.
0: Which one were you talking about? Uh, Firefly. Oh, actually. Firefly. Yeah. Even there, though, what the hell? Which is the fucking pilot? Sorry, I don't usually curse yeah. like that. <laughs> well, Firefly does still inspire passions in this David. Yeah, I, I think. But you know what I'm talking let... about? How they aired stuff out of order.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know. I know. I, still. I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this on air before, but I mean, I went up to visit my uh, brother-in-law like two years ago when we still could go up to Boston. You know, like I, had, I think we had the girls with us, and it's like, all right, well, you know, like, what are we gonna watch? Like, hey, let's watch like the first episode of Firefly. And He puts in the train job. Yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah, that's not the first episode. He said, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not and of course at the end of it the girls were like i don't get it i don't know like what what? i don't like the character you know unless like this is this is this is this is just how it happened like you've just ruined firefly for my daughters uh by putting in the wrong disc all
0: right well let's go ahead and leave it there this has been a a great start to uh what's turned out to be a great show but that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch thanks for joining us love to hear what you think about The Nevers anything else going on in your genre TV world join the Facebook group if you haven't SciFiTVRewatch at gmail.com is the way to contact us if you'd like to do that we'll be back next week to continue our look at the HBO Max series The Nevers but until then you know there's like this group of kids now it's getting a little warmer these kids going around
1: hanging around the neighborhood you know what They had an unnatural air. I said it then. And they had a monkey.